No, we didn't know agents, property managers, nothing. Uh, when we, we bought that first one, um, we, we submit an offer and, you know, we get it accepted and we're like, shoot, I guess we need a property manager. Cause we have not, we, there's no way I could do it. I could property manage from that far away when I'm in Japan or Australia or Brazil or wherever. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've had to work in property management fees since day one. And we just tried to give it a go and it didn't start well. Right. We fired five or six property managers seemingly every nine months. Right. We would fire one. Uh, maybe they'd start out well and then they wouldn't, or they would, you know, it, it was just a mess. Um, those first five years were, were rough just trying to figure it out. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Our guest this week is a buy-and-hold rental property investor who's built his way to financial freedom while working a full-time job, one rental at a time. He's teaching others to do the same with a best-selling book and a great Instagram feed, both aptly called One Rental at a Time. Michael Zuber, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Neil and Brittany, thank you for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, us too. So, um... Do you recall a moment where you first made the decision to start investing in uh, rental properties? Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I had just suffered a six-figure stock market loss. (laughs) I was 30 years old. I was walking through an actual bookstore. I think it was Borders. uh, And I walked down the investing aisle. And I stumbled across a purple book that uh, we all know and love called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I read it. I read it 10 times in a row. I traveled for a living. So I got through the airplane rides by reading because I'm a terrible flyer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that book changed my life. It didn't tell me anything about how, but it planted a seed that I had never thought about, which was being a landlord, right? Nobody in my family had any money. Nobody had graduated college. I was already quote unquote, the successful one. And, um, that book changed it. It, it showed me a different way. And, um, I will be ever grateful for that book. What was your, what was your day job back then? What did that look like? 
So I was a sales professional. I worked in technology. So I live in the Silicon Valley. I worked for various tech companies over my career as a either a pre-sales engineer, sometimes called a sales consultant, or a, a sales uh, leader, right? Direct quota carrying sales leader. And what that means for people that don't know that job is I had a base salary and I had commissions. So in my profession at the time, they would talk about just using rough numbers. Hey, you make a hundred grand a year, just rough numbers. But really what happens is you only make 50 and then it's your job to go earn the commission for the other 50. And of course the promise when you get into sales is not only can you make a hundred, but boy, if you blow it out, you can make 200, right? So I've been traveling around the world uh, for the better part of 20 years, um, you know, in, in various sales roles, selling stuff, uh, selling enterprise software and things of that nature. So that's what I did for a living. It was a extremely taxing um, job. It was a six day a week job because I would start my travel on Sunday and I'd be in three cities a week, uh, usually around the world and uh, was still raising a daughter. And, you know, it was pretty tough. Yeah. Ouch. Well, and, and it's, uh, it's the quintessential sales is great. It's great training for somebody who wants to go into real estate investing. Um, but it's also, it is the ultimate treadmill. I mean, it is absolutely, you're just, it, you know, uh, you are a hamster on a wheel. And as soon as you, as soon as you stop, uh, the money stops. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, being a sales professional tells, you know, teaches you a couple of things. And first, um, you do, you live on that 90 day treadmill, right? Um, in my profession, we had quarterly numbers. And if you missed a quarter, you would get a talking to. And if you missed two quarters, you get fired. Mm. So I, I lived in that world for the better part of 25 years. Uh, with ever increasing numbers. And, you know, that's why you had to work 80 hours. And that that was work. That wasn't travel time, right? I mean, I would I can't tell you how many times I'd be on an airplane at 630. Uh, and I wouldn't get home till 1am, uh, right? So uh, it's a tough living. And one of the things that really made me want to dive into being a buy and hold landlord was uh, I looked up my organization chart, right? So I'm here entry level or first level or whatever you want to call it. And I look up, like three levels. And, you know, they're all probably 15 or 20 years older than me at the time. Uh, they're all making substantially more money, but their quality of life is terrible. They're all overweight. They're all addicted to something, either legal or illegal. They're on their third marriages, probably have a girlfriend or a boyfriend on the side. It's just nothing in that excited me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am not going to be one of those people. So. Yeah. You know, buy and hold one at a time was a big deal for me. Well, so you you had the rich door, rich door, <laughs> uh, rich dad, poor dad book. How did you go from that to starting investing? Yeah, so I read as many books as I can. As I mentioned, I read to make my travel easier. So I, I have a behind that sign is a full um I don't know bookshelf of, of real estate books. So I read everything I could. Physical paperbacks. I don't read well online. So physical paperbacks. And one of the things that all the books said was invest 30 minutes from home, right? Have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. That was the big thing the last two decades ago. So my wife and I, and it, it, this, this story that may come across as mine is really a partnership. It's our story. She's just camera shy. Uh, so it's definitely Olivia and I's story. We spent a, a year, 52 Sundays in a row looking in the Bay area back in 2002, but nothing made sense because we wanted cash flow. Right. Yeah. And if you live in the Bay Area, even in 2002, you would have to bet on appreciation. And 
my accounting brain just wouldn't let me do that. Uh, I needed real cash flow, not some promise of, you know, whipped cream and, you know, nuts on future appreciation. So we had to go somewhere else, uh, but we wasted a year, but we looked every Sunday, we'd get in the car and we'd try to look for that magic street. And then lo and behold, we had a conversation at the year mark, pulled out the California map and said, what are we going to do? And that's where we started drawing circles. And we finally found Fresno, California, which is two and a half hours away, one way that made sense. Yeah. And like the next weekend we, we bought a house, uh, 107 grand, uh, rented for 1100. And that was our journey. So nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm very well acquainted with Fresno. I actually am from Sacramento, California. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I have family there, so I can see how it would be a better market than the Bay area. <laughs> It's been a much better market for us. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it it's it it's sort of our story as well. When I sort of got into real estate investing, uh, you know, you, you get the bug and you've read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you maybe you've read uh, one of Brandon Turner's books from Bigger Pockets, you know, and and uh, and you always hear the experienced investors, you know, invest, you know, invest in your in your area, invest in your area, and it's like, well, I mean, if you live. <laughs> If you're a cash flow investor, uh, yeah. you know, and you want you don't want to flip houses, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to invest in that area, and you really just have to adapt. And you've got to figure out how to make that happen. And and nowadays it is a lot. Uh, I mean, we invest uh, very long distance. We invest uh, three time zones away. I mean, we invest oh, wow. all the way across the country. Um, okay. Now it is uh, we're able to do that because we have a really good team. Uh, we have a rock star team. If we didn't have a good team, it would be a disaster. I wouldn't recommend somebody do that unless they've got some really good boots on the ground. Um, sure. Did you do any, do you have any kind of boots on the ground in Fresno, California, besides just a realtor? Uh, day one? Yeah. No, we, shoot, we knew nothing. <laughs> we knew, we knew nothing. We'd, uh, we'd never been to Fresno. I drove through it once when I was 13. My parents tell me when I was going to Yosemite once, but no, we didn't know anyone. We knew no one other than we pulled out a map. It was the first city of size, right? At the time it was half a million people. And uh, you could buy a house for a hundred grand that we thought could rent for 1100. And we're like, we're going to give it a go. And no, we didn't know agents, property managers, nothing. Uh, when we we bought that first one um we we submit an offer and you know we get it accepted and we're like shoot i guess we need a property manager because we have not we there's no way i could do it i could property manage from that far away when i'm in japan or australia or brazil or wherever right mm -hmm. so we've had to work in property management fees since day one and we just tried to give it a go and it didn't start well right we fired five or six property managers seemingly every nine months right we would fire one uh, maybe they'd start out well and then they wouldn't or they would, you know, it, it was just a mess. Um, those first five years were, were rough just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Um, how did you, um, what was usually the metric that made you go, yeah, this, this property, yeah, this property manager is gone. Uh, usually uh, I would find them in a lie. That was, that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, they got pretty comfortable thinking we were out of area investors right? Two and a half hours away is, I mean, that's a five hour day just driving there and back, right? Most people won't drop a hat and go there, but they didn't know how type A we both are actually, Olivia and I. And there were many a days we just woke up a Saturday or a Sunday morning and said, you know what, let's go see what they're doing, right? It's amazing what happens when you tell your property manager, hey, I'm going to come Saturday. I'll be there at 11. We're going to go look at our three houses. 
it's amazing how they look. And then you go back next weekend without telling them, looks very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we had uh, many a surprise inspections. Um, how would you recommend somebody um, go about, you know, if they're a new investor, how would they go about finding a, a good property manager? <laughs> so after 20 years, the best thing I could tell you is um, I have found the most luck where the owner, the principal of the property management is an investor. I have seen it be least successful. Not So this is going to, it's not always the case, but I personally have seen it be least successful when the principal is a real estate agent or a real estate broker. Mm. And I say that because I've been doing this for 20 years and there will be a cycle where selling real estate gets hot. And when that happens, their focus changes and it happens. And I get it, right? You go make $10,000 on a commission versus a hundred bucks on my rental. Guess who's going to get the focus? So I don't like that. And uh, I fired a couple of them because, you know, one of them became the number one short sale agent in Fresno in 08. And he wasn't going to give my tenants and me any time, right? He was making a hundred grand, a hundred grand a month selling short sales. So I, I'll never do that again. My, the owner's got to be an investor and they can't, for me, they can't be a broker or an agent because people are people and they're going to chase the money when the money's hot. No, I, I think that's great advice. And it's something that uh, we've, when we've interviewed past uh, buy and hold investors who've talked about property managers say, you know, you'll start off with a good property manager and then eventually they'll either, um, they eventually all go crazy uh, because <laughs> it's a hard job, you know, and, and they, uh, and some of them are very good at selling investors on what they can do, but mm-hmm. they're not so good at operating at scale. As they start to, you know, you know, they're fine when they've got a portfolio that they're working with 25, you know, 25 properties, but when they've got 250, you know, their Mm -hmm. scale starts to break down. Yeah. That's why you got to have somebody who's an investor, the investor that we've, or the, well, he is an investor, but the property manager we've been with the last eight or nine years, um, you know, he has almost as many units, if not more than we do. So, and, and he grew up for nothing. He started after us. So, um, to think that's why it's important for me. Cause then the, his team has grown, right? He's grown from a team of 12 or 13 to 35. Uh, he's constantly investing, uh, in, in hiring his team and providing a better service. So, uh, that's what I want. You can't have somebody that's going to, you know, try to, you know, just keep the lights on. Yeah. That's well, he, not what you want. He kind of gets it. He knows what you need because he needs those people too. If, yeah. he, if he weren't running exactly his own company, right. So, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and is he is he strictly property management? That's kind of what you're talking about. They're strictly property well, he, well, I would call him an investor first. Uh, he certainly started as a property manager first. That was his thing. Uh, he is not an agent, not anything else. Uh, but you know, he's done quite well for himself, and he's much younger than me, which really pisses me off. <laughs> uh, he, he's saying that he has more units than me now. But um, yeah, I'd call him an investor first, property manager second. Now I think he's earned that. Yeah, I think he's earned that. That's cool. Okay. Before we, we go on, you, you said you bought that first property for 107,000. Mm-hmm. And then was that just a very traditional purchase? You just bought it with 20% down? Or? Yeah, I didn't know any better. We had, we had a whopping $40,000 after that six figure loss in the market. Um, just use rough numbers. We, we, we did an 80% first and we put 20% down. We didn't know any different. Gotcha. Nobody in my family had ever bought a rental property. I mean, no, no, we didn't talk about it. Shoot. My family didn't talk about money. Uh, let alone investing. So yeah, I put 20% down on the first one and um, didn't even think there was an option in the beginning. Yeah. And was it, um, 
was it rent ready? Was it ready to go or did you have no, to No, we we probably I think we spent 10 or 11 grand fixing it up. I mean, if we had to do it today, we probably would have spent four or five. We 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 upgraded things we didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't know any better, right? We we did the classic, you know, upgrade it to what you would want as opposed to what is good for, you know, a tenant, which, you know, things you learn over time. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to ask, you know, you, uh, you have, you is your portfolio almost completely in Fresno? It's entirely in Fresno, except for a house that my daughter lives in, in New York and something I have in Arizona. Yeah. Now I know that Fresno, Fresno was pretty hit, hit pretty hard by 2008. How did that? Oh yeah, it was crushed. Yeah. How did that affect, uh, your portfolio at the time? Oh, it was, uh, a blessing. It was awesome. So one of the things that you will see in our story is we spent 2003 to 2007 buying houses. We had, um, we had eight houses, but seven properties, right? One of those was, was two houses on one lot, right? Front and back. So let's just call it eight houses. Uh, we were trying to buy the ninth house right around late 2006, maybe mid 2006 and nothing worked like that first house, for example, that we bought for 107. Uh, they were now retrading at 260 uh, and rents never moved. They were still 1100. So my, again, accounting brain would not let me buy the ninth house. So I remember going to a real estate meetup, listening to some, it's going to sound bad. I, I call him the old guy, but he was probably my age now <laughs> when I talked to him when I was 34. Ah, I'm old. Uh, but he, he said, well, why don't you go look at apartments? And again, I know nothing, right? I've got eight houses and I think I'm, I think I'm king. And he's like, why don't you go look at apartments? I'm like, I can't afford an apartment. Only billionaires own apartments, right? This is what I'm saying to myself, right? And he goes, I remember him putting his arm around me and tapping me on the shoulder. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And he's like, oh, you just don't know. And he goes, go look for something between five and 20 units. And I'm like, okay, I follow instructions. I've never looked there before. Let me go look. So lo and behold, I find a five unit building, uh, all one ones, single story, all connected like one big row um, that, that is, um, that produces, uh, 2,500 bucks. So 500 each, but the kicker is I can buy it for 220. Hmm. Oh, all right. So I can do a 1031 exchange out of a house. That's grossly overpriced and has had zero rent inflation, move all of that equity into a, a building that is underappreciated and my cash flow explodes. Ah, all right, let's try this. Let's just try it. <laughs> so we do, we 1031, we go from one to five. That works, works great. So we spend the next nine to 12 months doing 1031 exchanges. We go from eight houses to 80 units in apartments. Wow. And we get all of our equity out, which it turns out to be fake because that one house that we sold for 264, even today in 2020 is only worth 180. So we get all of that fake equity into apartment buildings. Then the crash happens. Our net worth takes a hit, no big deal, because we're getting mounds of cash flow from apartments. And oh, by the way, rents go up, right? People leave houses and they move to apartments. Rents go up. Everything's good for us except our net worth, but I don't spend my net worth, right? I spend cash flow. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the crash was good. And then, oh, by the way, we were buying stuff hand over fist in 2010. It was our most active year. Uh, we go from eight to, or 80 to like 150. Uh, during the crash. So the crash was wonderful because we repositioned. We didn't take the whole hold forever. When you want to overpay for something, we will gladly sell it. Yeah. So you, so your portfolio now you're at like 150 units or? No, I think we're almost 200 today. Okay. Like one, 
87. I don't, I don't actually count anymore, but somewhere like that. <laughs> and is most of that in apartments? Oh, I would say uh, we, we sold 50 units in apartments in 2019. Cause I thought just like houses, they were overpriced. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a very popular social media guru who we all know that says bigger is better. If you buy anything less than 16 units, you're an idiot. And uh, he caused apartments to uh, accelerate in prices and people were paying um, class A type cap rates in Fresno, which is a B, B cap rate area on C quality. Uh, so I gladly sold some C quality apartments for ridiculous prices. And, and uh, I will sit on the cash until the next crash happens. So uh, I would say we're about almost 50, 50, what you would call commercial versus residential, right? Four plexes and below five and above so almost 50, 50 in our portfolio. Well, speaking of the next crash, do you think that the current um, climate with COVID, where what's mm -hmm. what's today, August second, um, two thousand twenty? You know, obviously mm -hmm. real estate's going to lag, but do you have yeah. any, you know, predictions on how that might affect your portfolio and your future yeah. buys or? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think. I think it is very clear. Again, I have a strong opinion, but I'm wrong all the time, as my wife will always remind me. <laughs> um, I think we're about to have a K-shaped recovery in real estate as well. And what I mean by that is there will be some markets that clearly lose. Think vertical cities, San Francisco, New York, Seattle, uh, clearly going to lose, right? Elevators are bad. I want a backyard for my kids. You know, mm -hmm. space is good, right? So there'll be clearly some cities that lose, but Every other city wins. The rush to the suburbs is real. The work from home is real. So I think in mass, the single family home will probably be the best investment for the next 10 years. I think you're seeing that today in, in the ridiculously active real estate market. Um, but there are going to be some cities that just get crushed. New York City and San Francisco, toast, just crushed. Yeah. So that's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. There's a, a great post by Tim Ferriss from... A couple of years ago where he actually he talks about the the flight to the flight away from these high cost of living really dense areas you know and and his his whole uh thinking on it was that just remote work was going to become more popular um, and, and now he just recently, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, he reposted it and said, I wasn't predicting COVID, but this is <laughs> he nailed it. He yeah. totally nailed it. And, you know, Google has said they're, they're, um, you know, they don't want their employees to come back until the end of like end of 2021 at the earliest. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a mile and a half from Google. My neighbor, my two of my neighbors are from Google. So yeah, you're right. They've actually said June of 2021, but they've changed it twice already. So it keeps going farther and farther back. And then Twitter, Twitter's right down from the office I used to work at in San Francisco. They've said work from home forever. It's yeah. real. I mean, the rush out of San Francisco and New York is unprecedented. The speed I knew I I've been calling for it the last couple of months, but it is accelerating. And then, oh, by the way, you, you let's not forget that New York and, and California are ridiculously taxed mm -hmm. and they're going to have to raise income tax. California's talking about taking it from 13.3 to 16.8, man, you were, the freaking door is open. People are, people with money have options. They are going to leave, which just means the middle class is going to get crushed in California and New York. It's, it's not going to be a good couple of years. Yeah. Well, and it really comes down to it's what's really happened with COVID right now as well is that the people who can work remote are doing fine. 
Yeah, they're fine. They're yeah, fine. They're, they're, they're probably they're, better than fine. They're saving money because they're not out spending it, you know, entertaining themselves. And their company has now said, hey, you can work anywhere as long yeah. as you as long as you work. And so they're going, well, why am I paying $3,000 a month to rent a, a, a shack in in the Bay Area when I can go and live in uh, Fresno? Yeah. Or, or Vegas or Vegas, you know, mm. yeah. <laughs> Vegas. don't come here. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess may actually yeah. the market will probably yeah. take a hit. So you might be able to live in a nice house. Yeah. Yeah. But don't, don't come here now. Cause it's yeah. still okay. very high. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but, I mean, but one of the big things I think is coming and this is, this will be interesting to see. Cause I like, I like putting it out so people can call me on it in a year, but I think home ownership is going to go up because I think exactly what you said, renters, from these high unaffordable places will become owners in less expensive places. Yeah. So I, I happen to believe home ownership is good. I think it's a cornerstone of wealth. Yeah. And I believe that uh, we should see home ownership above 70% yeah. uh, in the next couple of years. I think it's at 67 point something today. But the other thing that's a beauty is the last time it was that high was 2007, but that was fake. I had tenants leave my apartments that, did liar loans and became owners that then went back and became tenants. Um, that's not happening today. It's real lending. It's real down payments. It's real incomes. It's 30 year fixed rate money under three. Yeah. It's an amazing time to become an owner. And I think if you can buy today with a, you know, sub three 30 year rate mortgage, you're going to be a genius in a couple of years when inflation comes in. Yeah. yeah. Probably going to have a lot of the like, upper middle class people who can work from home and have children, they're going to yeah. move into houses because <clears throat> if I was I living to. in an apartment right now, I, I would, I would really not like my child probably <laughs> like, even, you know, like yeah, the no, only exactly. thing that's keeping us sane is that there is a pool in the backyard. <laughs> no, you're, uh, this is happening. And, and I mean, I just had a broker call me today on a no nothing house in Fresno that I thought was worth 170. Um, it was listed at 199. It's going to go for 225. They had 35 showings in 24 hours. I've been doing this 20 years and I've never seen such an unbalanced market and it's yeah. predominantly owners, right? The other markets I've been in, it's like 60, 40 owners, investors, 70, 30 in 2010, it was 80, 20, the other way today. It's like 90, 10 and I can't compete. I want to buy more houses. Yeah. Owners can pay more than me and have a smaller mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. I yeah. can't compete with that. Yeah. So they're going to crush it the next six months. Yeah, and they don't, and they don't care about, they don't care about cash flow. They just want to live. No. Yeah. 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 yeah it's uh, it's a it's a strange market. We're you know we just sold our house in Las Vegas and uh, and we're luckily kind of in the sweet spot where things are still hot. Um, yeah. And uh, you know because people are able to keep you know they got a person who's got a VA loan for two point yeah. seven five percent. Uh. <laughs> you know wow yeah yeah uh, that's so, hard yeah it's hard to compete with as an investor yeah no yeah but now we have a huge you know we pulled so much equity out that when things do nice. change and as things go we can put that to use and because yeah. that the the actual cost of that house is gonna or like you know the it's gonna go down so we were gonna lose mm -hmm. a ton of equity eventually yeah take it out now yeah yeah, yeah. and I've, I've lived through that cycle before i mean i i again i mean my first house is a great example. I bought it for 107. I sold it for 264, not four years later. It foreclosed almost four years later than that at 75 grand, right? 107, 264, 75. Fast forward another decade, it's only worth 180. Yeah. So getting out at the top 
sitting on some cash, you know, traveling around enjoying life, not a bad option. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, you know, one of the mantras that we preach to people is, uh, and I, I can't take credit for this is comes from Joe Fairless is the three immutable laws of real estate investing, which mm. are invest for cash flow mm-hmm. with low leverage, long-term debt. Yep. And go in with sufficient cash reserves. And there if you, you and if you do those three things, you can survive almost any market. Yep. You know, the reason totally we the reason we short sold a condo that we owned that was a that didn't originally buy it you as a owned. I owned. Uh, <laughs> uh, was okay. that, I was a poor college student, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> was uh, I mean I bought it to live in. I didn't buy right. it as a rental, but then eventually it turned it into a rental that was losing six hundred dollars a month as i think you i think you call it an alligator property i do i call that an alligator yeah totally and and so when when i had a triple whammy of my pregnant wife gets laid off from her job uh and uh our tenant who was military six months into a two-year lease gets pcs and breaks their lease immediately Uh. during the middle of a recession yeah, uh, you know, and we didn't have a whole lot of reserves as it was. That was like, we lost that yeah. property. It was like, all right, we short sold it, you know? Yeah, uh, as you should have. It was, I mean, you know, it's, 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 I don't know if it's funny, but I mean, it, looking back on it, it, you should have lost it. You were losing 600 bucks a month. I, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and pe- some people are like, well, now it's worth, uh, you know, now it's almost back up to what you would have owed on it. Yeah, but I would have, you know, been dumping yeah. seven thousand dollars a year into it. Minimum with that. Minimum. That's no capital. You know, that's I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That's all, that's okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, we yeah yeah if we've already it's behind you. Yeah. So, yeah. do you think in like six months you're probably going to be buying? Do you think that the housing price? I think it'll be longer. Down? Longer. Yeah, because I think what what we're not seeing right now is just how long they're going to try to delay pain. We are clearly in a delay pain That's scenario. Scary. I mean, just think Vegas. Uh, I've interviewed a couple of folks in Vegas, and um, I mean, with the extra six hundred bucks that just ended, which I think will get extended, um, you know, people are making more money than they did in their job. Right? There's Vegas. If you're living in Vegas, you can still pay your rent. You can still feed yourself. Um, you still have forbearance if you're an owner. It's going to be stuck on the back end as the second. We won't see real pain until this time next year. So I think it's 12 months out. And then I think it rolls, right? Again, I invested through the last crash. It really cracked in like late 08, but there wasn't really any real deals until 10, 2010. So it's going to be a a wave. So Patience. I do not see any pain before the end, before the election. There's there will be zero pain before the election. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and I uh, MGM, which is the largest employer in the state of Nevada, just announced uh, that they lost, I think, I think, I want to say $700 million on $54 million in revenue. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah that's I mean, hard that's, to do. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, and you know, I can't, you can't knock them. I mean, they, no. they, they literally have had these massive, massive properties completely shut down for yep. months they could have never they would have never anticipated that and yep. and they probably have the reserves to maybe survive that but now their balance sheet is going to be shot for the next yeah. you know you have one other thing happen one, if anything else happens <laughs> and that company goes belly up and that's the largest employer in the state of nevada yeah by a large yeah nevada, yeah vegas is a market i'm watching just because i think it is going to be the most acute pain and i think it'll be the canary in the coal mine 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think again, I, I've been looking at Vegas for oh, several months now and some of the numbers coming out of Vegas are just eye scratching or eye or head scratching, right? 325,000 was your, uh, your median house price last month, which was a record. It took out the 06 peak. Does that make sense? No, no. But what is really going on? Well, we've, we've stripped away a lot of pain. So the people that should be in pain aren't, uh, you are seeing a benefit from California people coming in who probably have equity that they sold. So they're snapping up low inventory. So it is very, very artificial. Um, it's sort of a combination sugar high versus scarcity thing going on right now. It's, yeah. it's just not real. But yeah. man, you look at the headlines. If you're not, if you're not watching it, you'd be going, Oh my God, Vegas is awesome. 325. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, do you think a lot of it has to do with uh, just the how low the interest rates are? Uh, I would definitely say interest rate. Again, I think what you're having, I think it's this simple. I think interest rates help, but I think you're having renters from California become owners in Vegas. I think it's that. And some from New York. I mean, I have friends in Vegas. They're saying, oh my God, I saw 10 New York license plates today or mm, whatever. Yeah. And Chicago, I mean, again, expensive blue states. People are leaving. Uh, and they're going to go to cheaper places. And Vegas is one. You know, Phoenix is another. Yeah. Texas all over. Miami, Florida. Yeah, North as Carolina. long as they don't want to work here. No, no, they're not coming to work. No, they're, they're they, I believe, yeah. actually, I think if I was Vegas politicians, I would be preaching work anywhere, live here. That would be my number th yeah. one thing I would preach. I would have that TV commercial made. Go for it, right? Because again, I would say, and I would blast that in California, 13.3% yeah. state income tax come here for zero. Oh, by the way, don't rent a $3,000 a month uh, shoebox in San Francisco, you know, get a 4,000 square foot mansion here. Yeah, the people that are coming to Vegas, in my opinion, right now are not working in Vegas. It's a horrible place no, to work. Well, you don't but, want to, I mean- yeah, but you no can live there. No one's gonna come in, here for a long time. Like the yeah. the vacation market's probably not gonna no, magically no. get better. But, but, you know. But if you, you can work at Twitter, make yeah. six figures a year being a coder, and you know go to San Francisco once a month. Yeah, Vegas is awesome. Yeah, as long as you like hot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, you get oh. a pool in your backyard. <laughs> yeah. You can go up to Mount Charleston. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you, there's actually, and California is not that far away. So you could theoretically, no, yeah, you could drive, go so to the I, beach. I, I believe, I believe Vegas. I mean, it's always been uh, people who retire often choose Vegas or Florida, right? They like the, they want to get away from the snow. I believe there will be people in my age bracket, 40 and 50 that are still employed. Be, stop being renters and becoming owners in Vegas. I think Vegas is going to surprise a lot of people. Mm. We'll see. It's a strange market right now. Yeah. So no joke. Um, so uh, you talk a lot about the how you watch the affordability index to I sort do. of help you make your decisions about, you know, when it's a good time to buy and when it's maybe a good time to, you know, take that equity and run. Can you talk to us a little Absolutely. bit about what that metric is? Yeah, so I'll to, uh, I, in California, that's produced by the California Association of Realtors, CAR. Uh, the the index that I look at, just because other states have other ones, is zero to one hundred. And what it basically means, if it says fifty, it means that half of the population can afford the average house. That's what that means. So as that number gets smaller, less and less people in Fresno can afford the house. So twenty five, meaning one in four where at 50, it's one and two. So as it gets lower, it gets riskier. And you can go back, California Associated Realtors has been doing this for 30 or 40 years. So you can go back and look at your Metro. And it's 
pretty eye-opening. What it shows you is when the affordability index for any city in California gets below 20, it's unaffordable. And then if it ever gets in the teens, like 15 and below, watch out. So what happened in 06? Uh, it was uh, 14. Hmm. So we sold. Uh, and then, you know, we started buying when it was, you know, 76, right? So everybody could afford and, and everybody had gone. And that's why I feel good about saying San Francisco is toast because it, it, it got down to nine. I've never seen an affordability <laughs> index at nine. I mean, it's, wow. it's stupid. Yeah. So it's going to blow up. Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, you're just looking at these massive tech companies that are able to pay huge amounts of money. Um, mm -hmm. and, and now, you know, then you've got the, the teachers and firefighters and police officers and all the service industry people who can't afford to live there. Nope. Um, can't, and yeah. Quality of life is terrible in yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. And you know, it's one of the reasons that the Reno market exploded, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, of because you had the Tesla effect and Google moving there. And then all of the, all these tech companies, and this is even before COVID, they all mm -hmm. went, why are we paying our secretary $120,000 a year? You yeah. know, so she can afford to live here when we could maybe just move our whole company to to Reno, yeah, uh, and and they can live like kings for for twenty five percent less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just no. It's it's, it's, it's uh, California and New York are going to have a rough decade. Yeah, no, and we're seeing we have a lot of friends. You know, we invest in North Carolina, and we have friends who uh, who are seeing. They're starting to see a lot of people from from yeah. New York. I'm down going, sure. Yeah, I think I wanted to live on the beach. I'm going to go I'll take and, two. I'll take two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, when, when people in North Carolina are going, my God, I can't believe the prices right now. And it's like, mm -hmm. not for these people, you know, it's just nothing. Yeah. So that's why I think a lot of the, there will, I do not believe there will be a national housing crash. No, no, it's no, always, it'll be it's always some low. regional, but yeah. national is going to be up. Yeah. Real estate will be more expensive a year from now than today. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you recommend that, um, you know, you built, you obviously didn't build your whole portfolio with just your own money. Eventually you started taking on, uh, private capital. Is that correct? Is that a good assumption? No, we built our entire portfolio with our money over time. We did cash out refis. We did oh. 31 exchanges. We borrowed from our 401ks. It's all our stuff. We have no partners, no, wow. nobody in any of these. We did take some private capital. Um, but it was, it was, um, first mortgages. So we didn't take on any partners, right? In 2010, no banks would lend to us. So we did private money there, but it's just my wife and I, we don't syndicate. We don't, uh, we have no GAVs or partners. It's all us. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I'm curious. So you have a daughter, you said she lives mm -hmm. in New York. How old is she? I, she's 29 just okay. yesterday. Um, I'm curious what you have taught her. So you, it sounds like you've been doing this for a good portion of her life. Um, yep. how have you tried to pass on this knowledge? Cause you also said like no one in your family has done this. Um, so you've got another generation. What are you doing yeah. to make sure that goes, keeps going? So there's, <laughs> yeah. So, so first off, I will admit that we did it badly. So if I had to do over, <laughs> I would do it again. Uh, so we took her with us. So we started this when she was nine, right? Roughly. Mm -hmm. She might've been 10, but right around then. Um, so in the beginning, right. When we had those first couple of houses, we took her with us because we didn't want to pay a babysitter. We didn't have any money, right? We were saving every penny we could. Uh, so we took her with us. And unfortunately at 10 years old, when you walk into a house that has roaches and you know, the mm -hmm. carpet smells like pee and you do that three or four times, you pretty soon don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
the first mistake we made is we took her into the junk. Um, we should have taken her into the nicer stuff uh, because she equated, I mean, very quickly to, you know, I, I don't want to go see that again. It smells in there, daddy, it, you know, mm. right. So um, that was wrong. Uh, the other thing we've done is she got older. Um, we made it clear that she, don't be like mom and dad and don't get a job to make money, go enjoy life. So she did, she, she chased her passion, which was drawing an illustration, which is not a high uh, income job. Yeah. Uh, but we have, you know, built something that's going to take care of us and then her eventually. So we feel really good about letting her do what she enjoys and loves. So she's an illustrator in New York and um, yeah, but she, she does not have the real estate gene. Uh, she's at all. not into it. <laughs> not, not, no. Yeah. Yeah. She, she turns up her nose. So we did that oh. wrong. I wish I could do that over. All right. What kind of, what are, what does she illustrate for? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, she did. Uh, she does video games mostly. So oh, cool. for apps, phone apps, and uh, she's done some magazine work and some other, you know, she's a, she's a 1099. That's so cool. yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, but she's happy. We just talked to her yesterday. So that's, that's most good. important to us. She's happy, happy and healthy. Yeah. And she's, you said she's in New York. Yeah. We bought a place and we let her live there. Yes. Oh, wow. My goodness. Uh, in Manhattan. <laughs> um, Astoria, Queens, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah. My sister lives in, uh, on the Upper East Side mm. uh, and uh, loves it. I mean, she's wanted to, yeah. she wanted to live there for years and she finally was able to afford to buy a little apartment you know, yep. there and, and absolutely cool. loves it. So, nice. um, um, so when you were starting out, how did uh -huh. you go about, uh, getting yourself educated? You had, you know, the initial, uh, mm -hmm. rich dad, poor dad, uh, which is really more of a mindset book than anything. It's definitely else. a mindset. Yeah, definitely. It's not, mindset. not nuts and bolts at all. No. Um, there's been a couple of books that made a difference in the beginning. There was a gentleman that wrote a bunch when I started out named fixer J J Decima. He talks about buying rundown houses, which is what we bought, right? Mm -hmm. Fixer J. So we bought a bunch of that stuff, uh, right? We bought cheap. And then, um, you know, we, we did, we went up from there. Then we read some multifamily stuff as we got introduced to other stuff. So, um, but really what we did is focused on our core competency, which was learning our market. We, ne we never picked up a hammer, never picked up, we never painted. We didn't have time or energy to do that. So all we did was learn our market. We found deal deals and secured capital. We outsourced everything else. You know, gotcha. we, we, I looked at, I've looked at my market every day for almost 20 years. Mm. It doesn't take long. It takes yeah. 15 minutes. And the other thing that's important is I had no special access, right? Everything we retired on, we bought from the MLS. No direct mail, no bird dogs, no wow. wholesalers. None of this stuff you hear about today. We just looked online and wrote up a lot of offers and just kept going. Yeah. Um, so would you say that was sort of the key, the key thing that you had to learn how to do was just learn how to learn your market and, and keep it. That's all it? I, that's all I talk about and teach with folks. You got to learn your market because every market has an average return, right? If you, if you spend time and energy learning your market, every market has an average like Fresno today is 6%. You know, Cleveland might be 12, Detroit might be 13, Dallas might be five. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up, yeah. but every market has average. So what I got really good at after I learned it is I only do good or great deals. If average is six, I want to do eight or nine. In 2010, average was 15. So I wanted to do 18 or 20. So as the market changes, my metrics changed. And um, I was only ever interested in doing good or great deals, which is really important today. Like we just talked about, there's no supply. 
So I write lots of offers, but nothing's getting accepted because I won't raise my price. I'll let somebody else overpay. Yeah, gotcha. Anything else that you, any other tools that you use to keep an eye on your market? Nope. Just uh, at the time it was realtor.com. I looked every day. I had saved searches. I, I think people overcomplicate it. Yeah. I think your job is to make money at the buy. What I mean by that is you got to do good or great deals. Figure out what average is. It takes a while. It takes you 60, 90 days of looking. But after you do it for a while, you'll know what average is and then only do good or great. It's that simple. You don't have to, I think, I think new investors, especially if you have a full-time job, I think people overcomplicate it. If you have the luxury of time, you can do all kinds of wacky things. But I had 15 minutes a day. I had a young child. I'd be on, you know, seven, eight, nine planes, which with no Wi-Fi at the time, right? So I had very little windows of time. You know, it's a very important, um, it's what you said there is so important because so many investors, when they first discover real estate, you know, they're listening to people who are often, you know, young um, and don't have families mm -hmm. uh, and have maybe already been successful doing this or maybe they're wholesalers or whatever and their, their, their cost of living is way down here. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they have the time. Uh, to, to devote to this kinds of things when you are somebody who is um, a high a high earner or somebody who is you know a business person who's got a, a pretty successful business you're probably better off spending more time making sure that income is okay and exactly. getting better than it is spending a bunch of time to try and learn how to do direct mail marketing and blah 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 and and leverage someone else's time. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, to do no, I, I tell people, I've been telling people for the last six to 12 months, your number one job today is to make sure your job is safe. Right. And oh, by the way, I, that was before this health crisis, right? Go make sure your job is safe. Don't be, don't be on an Island on some new product. That's a year away from being rolled out. You very quickly get cut. And if we hit into a recession, yeah. right, go submit your job, go bust your butt during the day, make as much as you possibly can from eight to six and then go spend again, it's 20 minutes a day. If I can do it for 20 years, you know, you can learn your market, you know, by Christmas. Stop being lazy. Stop giving me excuses. Gotcha. So how would you, how would you recommend someone learn their market? You, you said you just look at realtor, you know, you just look at realtor. Yeah, realtor so, looking... fun. so I've actually created on my YouTube channel one. Insulated time or challenge for real estate investors. It's completely free. It's eight tasks. So task number one is look at your market twice a day, right? I want it to be hard. So I, I say once, but if you wanted to step up, let's do it twice. Number two is meet a new person in your market every day. So think about that. That not only means you know 75 people, but 75 people know you. And most of my deals the last five years have come from my network. People have known me. They know what I'm looking for. Number three, get used to your getting used to running the numbers. The math that I talk about doing is remarkably simple. But still, some people are uncomfortable and some people overcomplicate it, right? If you start talking cap rates with me, I mean, I know I buy, I own, but that's not where we're at. Go figure out how hard your cash is working. Um, you know, so I call it yield to get away from cash on cash or cap rate or anything of that nature. Uh, read about your market 30 minutes a day and it goes on from there. Understand needs versus wants and all of that stuff. But uh, go take the challenge. It's 100% free. You know, I won't even talk to anybody now because I get so many requests for my time. I'm like, I'm not doing coffee or lunch. Go do the hard challenge and, you know, let me know how it's going at day 30. You know, 
then if you're still doing it, then I'll talk to you. Most people quit. Most people won't think there's an easy button out there and they want to feel like they're doing something. I don't have time for that. I have no interest in that. Well, I think uh, that is probably a, a great place to segue out of real estate. And we have to ask you about your dog, Jimbo. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love Jimbo. He's 15 year old Shih Tzu. He is slowing down. Uh, Shih Tzus have a, traditionally a um, issue with their back legs. So he doesn't walk very much anymore. I think if he walks 30 feet a day now, that's a lot. So we have to pick him up. We literally, have, yeah, there's a lot of carrying Jimbo. We still do our walks as uh, family, we call it a family, uh, but he has a stroller now. So yes, our dog has a stroller. <laughs> he doesn't even sit up in the stroller anymore. He's he's it's he's he's getting up there. So he even lays down when we walk. He used to like sit up and look around, but even that's too much trouble for him now. So thank you for asking. That's very nice of you. Yeah, uh, we we have a little dog, Bella. Not all that little. She's, she's not little. She was, supposed, she was supposed to be little. She was supposed to be little. I was supposed to be getting like a 10 pound Yorkie, Maltese Yorkie mix. And she's ah. almost 20 pounds. And she looks like she she's long. So like everyone's like, does she have dachshund in her? Like what is she? She doesn't look like any Morky that I've, like I don't think there's been any that I'm like, oh yeah, they look similar. She's ah, giant cool. and she's bossy she's yeah she's a, a <laughs> she's kind of a yeah. b word <laughs> i love her but uh, uh, our fur babies yes yes, yes. yes. she's yeah. she's my fur baby but she's more cat-like awesome. than dog-like yeah. in yeah. a lot of ways so yeah. Yeah. but she's it's you know she's 12 and mm. i'm you know i'm starting to see the like the beginnings of some of that slowdown where i'm like eh, yeah. i'm pretty sure you have a little arthritis or something because she'll wake up one yes. day and be a little <laughs> creakier yeah. you know and yeah me too um, i know how she feels yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Me too. old men <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay i call him my old man all the time <laughs> that works that's okay yeah, i take yeah. it yeah. <laughs> Well, Michael, uh, you've got your blog, uh, one rental at a time. You've got Instagram, uh, and you've got, I said, you said you've also got YouTube. Uh, would that be the best way for people who want to find out more about you to, to reach out to you? Yeah, I would go to YouTube. That's where I produce all original content. I put out two or three videos each and every day, every day. Wow. Um, if you want to know our story, you go to Amazon or audible. It's one rental at a time, but yeah, everything starts in YouTube and then it goes to Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and all that other nice, stuff. But yeah, nice. YouTube's the source. So I'll start with your challenge, hard challenge. Is that what you called it? Yes. 75 day hard challenge for real estate investors. Yep. There's a playlist. Perfect. Okay. I will, we'll link that in the show notes for you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, thanks again, Michael. It's been great, great talking to you. All right. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Okay. That was Michael Zuber from one rental at a time. You can check him out on his YouTube channel, on his website, and on Instagram. I highly check, uh, recommend you uh, go check him out. Awesome. So uh, was there a key lesson that you took from this interview? Yeah. One is that um, uh, the importance of the affordability index for whatever market you are investing in, um, you know, and it varies, uh, it varies by market. But, you know, I think that's a really a great metric to look at. You know, is your market affordable for the average person who lives there? Uh, because that's going to affect, ultimately, that's going to affect the home prices. And that can be a, a very simple metric. And it, it's a, in a weird way, it sort of combines um, employment and, and uh, median income with median home, pri home prices and things like that. And that's, uh, 
uh, for me, that was kind of the, the key lesson learned. And also, um, you know, if you are somebody who's a high earner and a high, um, uh, someone who's got a good job that, that pays well, and you're looking to escape, you're better off trying to leverage other people's time. Don't try to be, um, Mr. Super, you know, real estate investor, you know, going out and marketing for deals and things like that, you know, find a strategy that, you know, either invest passively in syndications, if you're an accredited investor that you're able to do that, or, you know, invest, you know, where you're looking on the MLS and use real estate agents and property managers. And, you know, don't try and sit there and and market Mm -hmm. um, and and act like try and take on another job like a wholesaler, a house flipper and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that I think that we've sort of taken that and done that ourselves to, to just start somewhere where it, it makes sense based on yeah. where we're currently at. That's not going to take us, you know, not going to give you an, uh, you know, tons of extra hours onto your already long day. Yeah. yeah. Um, money, how much did it take for them to get started? He, uh, we didn't get into exact specifics. The first purchase was for $107,000. He purchased at 20% down and he said they, they uh, over improved that property for about 10 to 11 grand. So I estimated that it was about 35 grand they put yeah. down on that first property. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me as well. Yep. Um, and time, we didn't really get into that um, specifically. I would guess, I mean, he talked about what he, that he recommends, you know, 20, 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, that can be, you know, all you, that was all he could do when he first started. So, um, you know, that can be sort of your baseline for what you can do on a daily basis. And then if you obviously are in the process of purchasing or, um, renovating or anything like that, it might be a little bit more time, but again, if you can leverage people's other people's times, if you can, you know, pay for those renovations or that kind of thing, then, um, you can reduce that, that overall, um, investment of time. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is the kind of thing that you can do with very little time, but again, you're going to have to leverage other people's time. You, if you're somebody who's going to try and start a wholesaling and house flipping business while you're, you've also got a 40 hour a week job, uh, you know, Lord help you. (laughs) Well, especially if you have a family and you have, you know, that's, there's people who can do that, but generally they don't have all of the, um, time commitments that, that someone like our family has, um, or someone, I mean, for him, he had family commitments and he was working 80 hours a week and he was traveling and yada, yada. It was just, I mean, um, so, you know, yeah, if you, if you need to, uh, there's, if you want more time, you have to pay for it with someone else's time. And so, um, but I mean, a lot of things with single family homes, you're probably paying for those things anyways, just generally speaking, most people aren't doing all the things we have interviewed a few people who, you know, um, do the, the renovation that do all of the parts, but for most people, they're probably using a realtor to find it. They're, you know, they're using people to renovate for them. They're using a property manager. So you can do this in a way that makes sense. You just have to calculate that into your costs. Um, all right. And, um, Location. We missed, we missed knowledge. Oh, well, he read a lot of books. 
He read a lot of books was what uh, I got from it. I don't know if there was something else that you. Yeah. Well, he talked about having to learn how to evaluate his market. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really just, you know, every day and he talks about, um, he didn't talk exactly about how he did that, but he does have a, a YouTube playlist where he talks. Uh, that's one of the things he talks about. Yeah. So I, I recommend you go check that out. But, so. you know, he mainly he said it sounded very simple. I mean, mainly just looking at realtor and, you know, you're keeping an eye on the affordability index. You're keeping an eye on on what the rents are doing and what the median home prices are doing and just sort of getting just getting to know your market. Yeah. Yeah. So that is you can look at that challenge. It was on YouTube at 75 day hard challenge. Yep. Um, okay, so our last one, location. Um, can he do this from anywhere in the world? Well, he, um, I'm going to say mostly no. I mean, this his strategy is more um, predicated on choosing a market that's within driving distance. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, he he's now to the point where I'm sure he has enough um, he's financial free, fin- financially free enough that he can go off and, and, yeah. and go almost anywhere. Yeah. But that's kind of what I was going to say is that the initial, he's not location independent as far as where he invests. He's very like so, solid. He's only in that one area. He doesn't like to invest elsewhere for the most part, but he's got the systems in place. He's not buying right now. Um, you know, if there wasn't a worldwide pandemic, he theoretically (laughs) could uh, travel somewhere. And as long as he's got that good property management manager in place and those systems where they know, you know, what they can do if there's a problem, he's probably not going to be needed. Yeah. Gotcha. So, okay. Is that it? That was it. All right. That was Michael Zuber from one rental at a time.com. Check him out. Uh, It was great meeting him. Great talking to him. Yeah. And uh, we're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.